Hey, uh, feel free to grab out your phone or a notebook because you probably want to take notes this morning. Um, it's always helpful, I find, for myself. Um, I, I tend not to remember things or retain things for very long, so help, help you track this morning. I really believe God wants to reveal more of himself to us this morning. So uh, we're in this series, obviously, Living Free. Um, how many of you all watched the little video during the week? Sorry, it was a bit long. It's good content, though, eh? Yeah. <laughs> um, awkward presenters, but um, <laughs> I can say that. Was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just want to start with this quote by Augustine. Uh, he prayed, Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know Thee. And uh, this morning, I really want to speak about knowing yourself, the importance of knowing yourself that you may know God. And uh, I, I found it to be such a vital thing. And so my question to you this morning is, are you investing an unreasonable amount of time managing who you're trying to be? Just let that sink in for a second. Uh, are you investing an unreasonable amount of time managing who you're trying to be? Because I, I really believe that you can either invest uh, a reasonable amount of time exploring who you are, your fears, your feelings, your past, your present, or you end up investing an unreasonable amount of time really just managing unproductive and inefficient behaviors. And so we're going to start at the very beginning this morning, and I want to I address a real issue um, that I have with something that I love <laughs> Uh, and I love the gospel, right? Put your hand up if you love the gospel. Yep, I see those hands online. Um, so new covenant grace. We, we just love this message of what God has done for us, that he's gifted us righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. And that our sin and death, you know, really went into that water and we came out innocent and full of life. It's such a beautiful picture of it this morning. And so our, our exploration of like New Covenant theology goes back way beyond uh, the conception of even harmony. And I know that Gideon's told the story of how he was studying his master's and his last paper. He was doing research into the covenants. And suddenly um, he, he discovered that the grace that unlocked something in him and, and really started shifting his life, freeing him up from, from guilt and shame and all that sort of stuff, uh, really changed the trajectory um, to a revolutionary new way. So uh, I, I really relate to this. I was probably, it was probably 2008 for me. Olivia and I were li living in the UK and we'd had a fairly traumatic uh, series of events. We were really at the end of ourselves, emotionally, definitely financially. Uh, and we were just stuck, having kind of exhausted all our means. And um, we are generally, if you know us well, we're generally too resourceful um, for our own good. But in this particular season, we, we really just landed on God. And um, we, we there was just this utter dependency. And I, I really, um, uh, you know, like I, we, we sat there and a friend of mine came over. He was on his way to Randy Clark's um, ministry in, in Brazil. And he came and stayed with us in the UK. And he'd just been via Hong Kong and sat under Rob Rufus and listen to this message of grace in 2008. And he's like, I'm going on a diet of grace. Do you want to join me on that journey? And uh, Olivia and I were not up to much. And so we sat with this message for 
probably six months. And I remember sitting at this coffee table in this little flat that I had. Uh, my wife had a, had a contract in Dublin, and so she was living there dancing, and I was in this little flat with two gay flatmates. And I remember sitting at this little table and reading scripture, and I'd read it like 17 times or something before, but suddenly it just made sense. You know that suddenly, the gospel suddenly became good news. And I was like, what? The, the grace of God, man, this is wild. You know, Jesus, Jesus his incarnation, his, the atonement, resurrection, man, it all made sense for me suddenly. And, and really inch by inch, um, cell by cell probably, our minds really started to get renewed. And so those things, those false narratives and uh, about who God is and who I am started to get stripped away. And that journey for me of really uh, grasping the grace of God, who I am in, in light of who He is, um, changed a lot of things. It really unlocked my identity. Uh, and that's been, you know, there's been, what are we, 22? Yeah, there's been a number of years since then. Uh, someone do the maths. But grasping grace has, has really unlocked something. And that's why, you know, our key events every year, Grace and Glory and Sonship, you know, they, they really, one begets the other, and they unlock our spiritual health. And yet, here's, here's the issue that I've discovered. You know, it, it doesn't undermine grace. It doesn't undermine Jesus' perfect theology, but it can be a byproduct of it uh, that if we don't fully grasp his nature, we can fall into a bit of a trap. There's some, some barriers, some blockages, you know, those defense mechanisms, those bodyguards, those refuges um, that actually can repel His grace at work in our lives and our hearts. And sometimes even our language can get in the way, can be a barrier. Um, you see, we, we, spoke, we talk about, um, we speak about getting, being born again, right? We're a new creation in Christ. Everyone a new creation in Christ here? <laughs> you know, we've been taken out of this domain of darkness and into his glorious light and, and we've been changed. But because of the finished work of Jesus, we often uh, negate, we forget that there's a, an ongoing process still. You know, we, we go, uh, it's finished because Jesus declared it finished, but there is an ongoing sanctification and sometimes that seems irrelevant to some if it's already been done. And yet nothing could really be further from the truth. You know, we, we have uh, declared it's all complete and sometimes we've halted the walk, work of grace. Actually, we do spend a lifetime finding out what he has done for us. You know, I, I had that revelation in 2008 that the gospel was good news <laughs> and what the covenants meant and what righteousness looked like and that it was for me. But it's the appropriation of that over a lifetime that is transforming me. You know, it's, uh, it's already in our bank account, but it's living like we already own it. In fact, um, positionally, we are in him. And now our condition must conform to him. Having been co completed uh, through and through and been accepted by, who, uh, by his grace, we, we really get to come to the Father and we are now empowered 
uh, by his grace to become like the son. So um, my friend Michaela put it this, this way last year. She said, um, some of you may know the Michaela I'm talking about. She said, do you notice I'm less prickly than I was at the start of last year? Yeah. And she said, wow, God is doing such a good work in my heart. And I really believe her fast track has been in direct correlation with her desire to surrender. You know, I've loved watching the process take place in her, in her life. You know, it's happened before my eyes. And, and honestly, nothing is more rewarding than seeing somebody be transformed. You see, the first, the damage that we carry, you know, the first Adam, not the new Adam, the first Adam, the old Adam, the world, the trauma, your false beliefs, your rejection, the neglect, your, the voids that you have in your heart, you know, the parts of you, the shadowy parts of your soul that need repair um, and need integration, you know, all of that stuff takes some conscious attention and some processing. Um, it's, not, it's not about work, though. It's not about, like, I've got to do more, I've got to perform, I've got to change myself. This is not self-help. It's about surrender. And um, you'll realize at times because, uh, you know, the work stuff tends to be our default. But yet, uh, yieldedness is the key ingredient. You know, like submission to his loving process is really the only role that you have to play. I'm glad you're feeling a bit warmer. <laughs> Put your hand up if you were raised by behaviorist parents. You get what I mean? You know, like they, they expected you to earn their approval. Yeah. If you're not careful, um, <laughs> no one wants to put their hand up. Hey, did you, are your parents here? You, what, did you see that? No. <laughs> Sorry, mate, you've gone bright red. Uh, no. <laughs> But, but really, if we're not careful, really quickly, our, our soul, like our inside, learns to conform. Yeah? If you just act this way, if you just, if I deny my innate way of being, regardless of my brain development and my maturity and all of that, um, then suddenly life is just more pleasant, right? Because I'm, I'm going along with the flow. And so we learn to perform, and, and it's actually, I mean, it's an acceptable form of socialization, right? Um, and yet for a lot of people, it's got, there's some really negative dividends. Um, ultimately, I earn love by being what you want me to be. So I feel anger rise up inside of me because I'm frustrated or there's an injustice or something, and I squash it down because it's not acceptable. It's not an acceptable emotion. Or... Um, you know, like I, I learned to suppress those feelings or those, those reactions and uh, I function somewhere as a chameleon, you know, like I change depending on what's needed of me from outside. Um, you know, and it's all because I want to be accepted, uh, like I want to be loved. But really uh, our stories become a bit more fraught with rejection and feeling isolated and, and feeling like I have to earn some acceptance. But the journey that God's got us on is not a behaviorist approach, okay? Because he's far less interested in modifying your behavior uh, than you are. You and I get hung up 
look at the prayer list. Often we get hung up with, oh, I can see this about me, God. Like, I'm, I want to change this. I want to, you know, I want to avoid that sin. I want to, whatever it is. And we get hung up with, change my behavior. But he is, uh, he's actually, he's far more courageous than you and I. And he, he's far more ruthlessly loving. And, and he goes straight to the heart of the matter. He actually says, who did I create you to be? Who did I create you to be? And in fact, in fact, I've got this as my screensaver on my iPad, and it's a reminder to me about my children, but it says, in fact, we never work for his love, we rest in it. Our children should never work for our love, they should rest in it. We are the children of God, and we don't work for his love, we rest in it. So we, we, we actually spend kind of our lifetime coming back to that foundational revelation that we don't earn it, it's his love. And his intent from the outset, his intent was always to have sons and daughters, right? Sons and daughters who carried his image and his likeness. You know, you actually get to retain your own personality. Some of you are gutted about that, but, um, <laughs> but you get to, you know, he gifted you with a personality and a temperament and little quirks and idiosyncrasies, and they're actually beautiful to him. And they're beautifully you. And at the core of uh, sort of who you are, you refract him. You're a refraction of an aspect of God, of the Father. And as your character starts to align with his, then, then you reflect them all the more. See, many of you will have um, probably watched this, you know, some of that video by now. And there's a, um, there's a dude in there, Dallas, right? Did you, did you see Dallas? Hi, Dallas. He's watching online. Um, so Dallas and I met when I was probably 16. He was 20. And uh, he was quite a new believer. Um, but he, he really quickly became my youth group leader. <laughs> and so we hung out quite regularly. And um, he was just outrageously fun, right? You probably get that vibe about him. Uh, to be honest, he was probably more fun than he is now. Uh, <laughs> no, it's um, no, but he, he used to have multiple personas, right? And we've, we've kind of talked about this, that some of those have dropped away as God's done a work in his life. And some of those personas were deliberate, like they were just quirky and fun, like gimmicky and, and enjoyable. Um, and some of those, I don't think he knew about himself at the time. But man, do you know what? I really wanted to be like him. I, I, I was an introvert. I knew I was an introvert, and I just couldn't shake off the shy, right? And, and Dallas, Dallas had a stutter until he got saved, and it disappeared. You know, God set him free from the stutter. And I just thought, you know what? Maybe my slow speech and my shyness could be grown out of too. And I, I, if, I just, um, if I just projected more confidence, if I produced more energy, if I was really sparky to be around, then I'd probably have more fun and I'd be more likable. Because I liked him and he was fun and I wanted to be like him. It, it always looked to me like extroverts were having the fun and, uh, and introverts, you know, they were having the fun that introverts longed for, but they were too, they didn't have the energy to muster up or that they weren't confident enough for. 
right? I'm an introvert saying that, so don't be offended. <laughs> and that was just my perception as a young person of, of what it looked like. And so um, I, I was really, uh, <laughs> I was really bored with myself, with who I was. And so I kind of pursued this change. And in fact, I remember Olivia and I, when we were first started hanging out, we were in Malaysia, and she bought me a key ring of a little colorful pony. What it meant was that I was a show pony, because apparently that's what I did a lot of. I showed off. I was a show pony, yeah. That was the start of our beautiful friendship. <laughs> um, but you know what? After a decade of evoking that side of me and avoiding the other, I came to some realizations. I just can't keep this up. I couldn't keep it up. You know, I was a high school teacher and I had boundless energy. Um, you know, I pushed everybody to their limits around me and I pushed them out of their comfort zone and uh, I allowed this part of me to become a persona, uh, a, a, a hat that I put on. Um, however, I, I realized that I was actually less intuitive and, and less perceptive than I'd ever been in my whole life. That actually I was less in touch with myself too. And as soon as I had children, uh, I realized that I couldn't recover my energy. <laughs> like, um, like I was just going to burn out, you know. It was, unless there were some real changes. But the problem was everyone around me expected a standard of performance that I'd I delivered on, you know, I'd been able to produce. And so I couldn't just lower my capacity, you know, and actually it took, through prayer, God offered me a way out, you know, and it was a humbling journey back to knowing myself more fully, actually to embrace who I was all along. A significant litmus test for me has always been, um, the awareness of whether I'm running out of my, running in my adrenal system, yeah? So adrenaline's great, like I love it. Um, I'd go base jumping with any one of you today, uh, <laughs> if Olivia would allow it. Um, <laughs> but it's not a sustainable fuel source, right? It's like glucose shots, you know, helpful in bursts, um, but actually they deplete you more than before, <laughs> You know, they're not to be depended on for long periods of time. And so I had to go back to like low GI carbs, yeah, leveled me out. Um, in fact, to be honest with you, I'm still finding an equilibrium. But it's, it's um, you know, I was blessed because it was something installed in me from a young age, the importance of knowing yourself. And so I was fortunate enough to have parents who were available for starters, <laughs> and who were, who were trying to, to see me through it all. You know, in fact, my mom especially was really astute at calling me out. Um, when I was younger, she would be like, hey, Joss, you have that look in your eye. <laughs> right? Joss, you need to go and spend some time with yourself. Joss, go to your room for a while and, and do, some, do some whatever, do some drawing, listen to worship tape. Uh, Joss... Why don't you just pop off and, you know, like deal to that thing, that issue of your heart. Like you're in turmoil or there's tension, you're not coping. And it was just this constant reminder, actually, that I need to have alone time to feel grounded. 
to recalibrate, to, to defrag. And more often than not, um, for me as a, as a little person and as a teenager growing up, that actually led to some very beautiful times with God. Uh, and it was, it was probably through one-on-one on, one on one encounters with Him that I was, I was transformed, that I was being changed. And even in the moment, I remember going from, like, I'd go into my bedroom angry, and, and then within the one side of a cassette tape, I'd, I'd come out a lot more peaceful. See, I, my question is, what, what have been the indicators in your life that reveal who you are? Like how you're wired? What can you see uh, that may be a shadow side? You know, is it the prickly defensive exterior? Um, are, you, are you hiding behind something? So you, you must actually come to a place where you confront the reality of who you are. Even, even if it means disappointment for everyone around you. See, Jesus wasn't afraid to disappoint people. Uh, his family had expectations of him. And, and at one point, his mother and his siblings um, wondered if he was like out of his mind. Mark 3.21, look it up. <laughs> um, you know, he disappointed the people who grew up within Nazareth. So much so that when he declared um, who he really was as the Messiah, that they tried to push him off a cliff. And yet he, he remained self-assured in his beliefs, you know, like regardless of the outrage, the, his home crowd, um, you know, rejected him. He, he disappointed his closest friends. The 12 disciples, you know, they, they projected onto Jesus their own picture of the kind of Messiah that he was to be. And he, you know, that didn't look like dying on the cross. didn't look like the crucifixion. So they kind of quit on him. Judas, you know, one of his, one of his closest mates, his, his top 12 boys, essentially stabbed him in the back for being true to himself and the call on his life. He disappointed the religious leaders. You know, they didn't appreciate the disruption um, that he brought to their day-to-day and to their theology. They just wanted to get rid of Jesus. They didn't know what to do with him. So choosing to be yourself and know yourself and embrace yourself and potentially, I mean, you, you're going to disappoint some people. And it can be hard um, because you're, you're literally opening up new neural pathways in your brain as well. You know, like you're actually having to to, to change the trajectory of how you thought your habits, your routines, your, you know, we've trained ourselves to cope with what life's thrown at us. We've avoided some tough conversations with ourselves. And maybe, maybe at times we've lacked the courage um, to actually see ourselves for who we are. Uh, we've denied ourselves um, who we are by avoiding vulnerability. Uh, Brené Brown, do you guys know Brené Brown? Yeah, cool chick. Uh, she says that vulnerability requires courage and emotional risk and exposure to people. Courage, emotional risk, and exposure to people. She says that you can't be vulnerable alone in isolation. It takes people. And actually, I, like, I get her point, and I love what she has to say, but I disagree to the extent that I don't believe we are trained in the art of being vulnerable with ourselves in the first place. 
You know, if you want to know God in a deeper way, you want greater intimacy with him, um, you want to be immersed in his love, then it requires vulnerability. And if you can't be vulnerable with yourself first, then you don't yet know yourself. See, we are, we, are, we are physiologically hardwired to avoid uncomfortable stuff, right? <laughs> and so it actually takes this intentional overriding to choose courage over comfort, vulnerability over avoidance, to actually be with the discomfort of accepting yourself and the feelings that you have about yourself. There's a quote that says, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. You know, in contrast to Saul, we looked at Saul last week, um, became a megalomaniac because he couldn't self-reflect. David found himself in the cave. Cave of Adullam. He actually found who he was. I mean, he, he had a history of knowing who he was, Time in the wilderness, time as a shepherd boy, time with the father. He knew who he was, but he didn't allow Saul to derail him. You know, Saul never allowed himself to be confronted with his own shadow. He just ran away every chance. Every chance he ran away. Whereas David knew what it looked like to be confronted with his own stuff. When Samuel came to him, confronted him about his own stuff. And yet... uh, he, he kept pressing on. He, he became conscious of the contents that was pressing up from the unconscious, and yet it was a source of freedom to him, not a something that he hid from. Who am I and what are my needs? What will it take for you to start living in integrity with yourself? Like to actually show up as yourself uh, and see what happens in every area of your life. Show up as yourself at work. Show up as yourself to your family. Show up as yourself to your friends, to church. Show up as yourself. What triggers you to act perfectly? To behave like a certain way, even if it's contrary to to who you are for the sake of others. Even if it's something like... Uh, being an extrovert when you're an extra and introvert, or you know, like pretending to be something that you're not. Hebrews uh, 4:11 says this: it "says strive to enter my rest." And it sounds like an oxymoron, <laughs> but it's it's actually, you know, it's worth the fear and the uncertainty to learn and stay through that messy middle part. And, and not avoid it, but actually engage with the mess. You know, make every, in, every effort to enter in. Make every effort to enter in, and you will find rest for your soul. And uh, you, might, you might be asking, how? <laughs> Is anyone thinking that? I, I got to this point, and I was like, how? Yeah, that's cool, Joss, but How? And I, I really believe that this is key, but it's, it's a challenge for us because we've got to get alone with him and be quiet and be still. But what would it look like for us to listen to him with the same passion that you want to be heard? Who does he speak over you 
when you ask him to describe who you are. When you sit with him and you say, who am I? Like, how did you craft me? Who did you design me to be? When you sit with him, who does he describe? So you're, you, you've been hardwired for survival, <laughs> physically, emotionally. And so your brain uh, has told you what you need to do to keep safe. Who you need to be to be safe for some sort of surety in your life. But that narrative is not necessarily accurate. You know, it's just keeping you safe. It's probably not even facts. It's not truth. So I started with a question. The question was this. Are you investing an unreasonable amount of time managing who you're trying to be? See, I, I, I think the church has always been in danger of slipping into behavioral management track, you know, behavioral modification techniques. It, it's punitive. Over time, um, it becomes clear that you're still not in alignment with who you are, with yourself. And so how do I become in alignment with, with God? Well, it's, it's, it's the Father's pathway to restoration, to transformation. It's investing in hearing His voice. I'd love it if you stand with me as we close. Who does He say you are? Father, we, we come before You this morning And we bring you our whole selves. We want to know you. We want to know ourselves. Who do you say that I am? Father, I ask that you would speak to each and every one of us this morning, that you would speak into our hearts and that you would speak your desire over us, your voice, your wisdom, your creativity, your intent. Who are we? Who am I as a son and a daughter of the Most High? It's only in knowing who we are that you get to unlock who we are. So I ask that you would reveal yourself to us this, this morning, Lord. And just as we worship, we present ourselves to you. Without our bodyguards, our defenses, our reactivity, our anything, we just let it fall to the ground, Lord God. We lay that at the foot of the cross and we come to you as we are. Speak over us, we ask. We pray this morning that you would speak over us. In your precious name.